Well, in 19, this, it's a dated story, and I don't know how the story ended, but in 1998, there was a guy named Michael Zwick, and he was a neighbor living, living in a community, a subdivision in, in Illinois, and his neighbors that moved in next to him decided to put a fence up around their property. It wasn't anything crazy, just a, a normal fence. But the way that the fence landed with an alley behind the house and some things like that, Michael Zwick was concerned, and what his concern was that it cast shadows on some of the back alley where gang members could come and hang out in the dark. Now, I don't know the story. I don't know if he was, had a legitimate concern or if he was just the crazy neighbor, but he took his concern to the neighbors that built the fence and said, hey, can you do something about this? Can you take your fence down? And they, their kind of response was, no. I mean, you know, it's on a property. Everything's normal. From what I understood, like I said, it wasn't a crazy fence. But he got upset about it, got angry. So he started taking his recycling bin and setting it out on his property where it was partly on their grass and where it would block sun and things like that. And so he was doing it so they would start to kill their grass. So they went to him and they said, hey, could you could you do something with your bin and move it, you know, off of this public area, you know, to your property because it's killing our grass? And he said, no. So they got the homeowners association involved. And the homeowners association came back and said, hey, you need to move it, which he didn't. Not only did he not do it, but when he would blow leaves, he would blow them onto his neighbor's yard and then decided to start letting his, his weeds in his yard grow. They said he got, the newspaper said he got to about a foot high, 12 inches high, just despite his neighbor. Well, finally, the Homeowners Association started fining him, gave him a letter. He had, at the time of the newspaper article, he had been fined 10 times for over $1,000. And as the newspaper came to kind of interview him about this neighborhood drama, the last quote that was in the newspaper, he said, we're just digging in. Aren't you glad Michael's not your neighbor? Or if he is, I'm really sorry. If he really got to Texas, that'd be terrible. But anger Anger makes us do some crazy things. You know, I mean, who, who lets weeds grow in their yard a, a foot high just to spite them? That, that's, not, that's not normal. That's what happens when anger gets out of control and we don't know how to, how to manage our emotions. And Anger in and of itself, though, isn't bad. Anger, anger is an emotion. It's something that God has given us. And so anger in itself is not bad. In fact, sometimes anger can be a good thing. Sometimes things happen and this emotion rises up in us that, that we identify as anger and it spurs us to do something good. I had some friends uh, whose daughter, when she was in college, um, very mission-minded uh, family, daughter had been on multiple mission trips. The grandfather calls the dad of the daughter and asks if the granddaughter is in Haiti. And the dad says, well, no, I, I just... I talked to her like last week, not, I mean, not that I know of, but I mean, who knows? Maybe she like went on a, a mission trip with her university like real quick. I, I thought they would have talked about it. And he said, well, the grandfather said, well, I'm pretty sure she's there because she called me from Haiti and said that there had been a car accident and she had been injured and that I needed to wire her money. She didn't want me to say anything to you guys because she said you guys would be upset if you found out that she had been in a car accident in Haiti, so she called me, and so I wired her money. And now you're starting to unpack what happened, right? Scammers. Called a senior adult. Girl got on the phone, knew the granddaughter's name, called him grandpa. And the, but the dad was even like, I'm pretty sure she's not there. He's trying to track down just to make sure, and sure enough, girl was in 
college, hadn't been to Haiti, nothing like that. The grandfather had sent a couple thousand dollars wired to the scammers. Now, you hear a story like that, and you think about your parents and something like that happening to them, and it might get you angry, right? I mean, you go, that's not right. And, and you want to do something about it, but you don't want to buy a plane ticket to Nigeria to go track the guy down that did it, right? You know, and, and, and then your anger gets displaced. You get angry at, at, at your dad, your parents. Why? You know, how did you fall for that? And why didn't you call me first? Because we wanted to do something about it, but we couldn't. And anger kind of, we lost a little bit of control. Now, anger can be something that spurs us to something good. We're going to talk about that next week. So we talk about the emotion of disgust. We're going to talk about a disgust for sin and how anger can bring that out. And those, kind of, those two emotions kind of walk hand in hand. They're, they hold hands, they're sisters. But this morning, we're going to talk about the dark side of anger. We're going to talk about the anger that doesn't move you to do good things, but the anger that causes you to slam the door and to open it up and slam it again if your point wasn't made. The anger that causes you to yell, to cuss, the anger that causes you to want to throw things. We, we've felt, and it doesn't matter how peaceful and peace-loving you are, there's been moments where you've wrestled with anger. Earlier this summer, we were down in the valley on uh, our high school and junior high mission trip. We combined them this summer. And I had bought early in the spring this three-pack of concert tickets and out of the Austin 360. Well, one of the concerts fell on the Thursday night that we were coming back from the mission trip. And so I was trying to decide, do I sell these tickets or, or do I go? And so I talked to our adults that were on that trip, and I said, what would y'all think about? You're leaving at, at 1 o'clock in the afternoon to drive home. What would y'all think if I bought myself a plane ticket and I flew out at 11? I left you a couple hours early, and I flew so I could take my wife to this concert in the summer. And they said, yeah, absolutely, we got this. This is no, no problem at all. So I got online, bought some airline tickets to fly from McAllen, Texas, and I had to get back to Austin for a 7 o'clock concert. So my plane ticket, obviously, you know, went from McAllen to Dallas. I flew over Austin because that's how it works. Uh, and then got on a plane and flew back to Austin to land at four o'clock. My wife's going to pick me up. We're going to go grab dinner, get to this concert. Perfect plan. Until I was on my plane in Dallas and they got on the loudspeaker and said, we have a problem. It's like the worst feeling in the world, isn't it? especially when you're already on the plane because they don't turn the air conditioning on until the plane starts going. You're kind of hot. And you're, you're, you're you're packed in tight. The knob on the pilot's seat that adjusts his seat forwards and backwards had broken. And they said, we can't fly with it. And I'm thinking, grab a couple of like phone books and sit that bad boy up and let's go. And they, they explained it. They said it would be kind of like if you couldn't adjust your seat and you couldn't reach your, the pedals as you were driving your car. It's the same thing that's happening here. And I'm like, okay, well, that kind of makes sense. And I don't want to die on my way to the concert. But they said, well, we're going we're gonna to call and see if they have another uh, chair. Y'all just sit tight <laughs> like we have any other option because I was not in first class. I was sitting tight. And, I mean, it goes on, and I mean, everybody's texting, and I'm, I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. People are getting off the plane. They get on. They said, hey, we just want you to know we see people, you guys getting off the plane. There is not another flight out that has an empty seat until 8 o'clock. So, really, there's no reason to run. Your best chance is to wait this out. We waited out. Finally, they got us off the plane. They said, this plane's going nowhere. And I'm like watching the clock. And I'm, I've got this, you know, I'm like, okay, well, we've missed dinner. You know, now we're, I don't know if we're going to even, if I'm going to make the concert or what. And so I'm sitting there and I am frustrated. 
I mean, I, I'm angry too, you know, but I'm doing the best that I can to control my anger. And so uh, the ticket counter's there and they've made some announcements and I'm standing in line to ask them a question. Um, and as they do, it's been, it's been three or four people deep and it's taking forever. A guy walks up on the side, kind of cuts the line, walks up and passes everybody and goes up to the, uh, a, the attendant, the ticket lady, not the ticket counter, the front, but you know what I'm talking about, the kind of help desk right there by your gate. And he starts asking her a question. She said, sir, there's all these people in line. We're, we're trying our best to take care of it. You're going to have to wait in line. And I mean explosion. This guy goes ballistic. He starts yelling at her, I, I'm all but cussing at her, and he's angry. And I'm sitting there feeling like torn because I'm feeling all the emotions he's feeling, right? I'm like, I want to yell at somebody too, but at the same time I know this lady did not get on the plane and kick the seat and break it. You know what I mean? It's not her fault. I mean, it just is what it is. It, it's, it's life happens. But it's that anger that we're talking about, the one that causes you to, to yell, the one that causes you to get angry at people. That it, it's not really their fault. Um, and some of you are different. Some of you are, are passively angry. You're never going to yell. You're just going to smile and ignore you're not going to talk to your spouse for the next day or two or three or four. You're, going to, you're not going to slam a door, but you're also not going to help out and wash the clothes or do whatever because you're going to make a point because you're passively angry. Same thing. One's explosive externally. One's explosive internally. But the truth is this. Anger when it's unchecked, is going to affect your life and is going to affect your life in a negative way. It, it'll affect your career. It'll affect the way you, you relate to the people that you work with. It'll affect your neighbors, as we talked about kind of early on in that first illustration. It'll affect the types of friends you have <coughs> and who wants to be around you. And it will affect your home. Anger unchecked is going to affect relationships. If you're married, it's going to affect the relationships with your kids. It, it's a powerful emotion. And if you don't, you get to choose. You get to choose if you will control your anger or if your anger is going to control you. And so that's kind of where we're landing this week is how do I lean in and through the power of the Holy Spirit begin to control my anger when it comes up because it will come up so that it doesn't control me. Now let's understand this and we're going to jump into a passage of Scripture, a couple actually here in a second. But understand this, most of the time, and one of your questions is can you identify when this wouldn't be true, when you get into a small group in a second. But most of the time, our anger is a reflection of our own selfishness. Most of the time, our anger is a reflection of our own selfishness. We get angry because I didn't get what I wanted. I get angry because I deserve something and it did not come to me the way that it's supposed to. The guy at the airport, he was angry because he deserved to be on a plane flying home. And that is a true statement. He had paid money to buy a ticket that left at a certain time to get him home. That's what he, that was what he bought, his hard-earned money. I felt that. I'm like, I could have driven back and not spent 250 bucks of my own money to fly to Dallas and miss a concert. You know, I mean, he deserved to be on that plane. He didn't get it, and his self, his ego was saying, hey, I didn't get what I want, and anger came up. Most of the time, that's true. Not always. Most of the time, though, anger is a result of our selfishness. And so, as a follower of Jesus, if we are supposed to be selfless 
and to get rid of selfishness to follow Jesus, then controlling our anger is actually a spiritual discipline. Controlling our anger is actually something that we have to do in order to to walk in Jesus' footsteps. So we can't take this conversation we're having and the conversation you're going to have with your students that are down the hallway right now this week, we can't take this lightly as if, well, yeah, I don't want to do anything about it because it's a matter of spiritual growth. It's a matter of your own sanctification because controlling your anger helps us become selfless and not give in to selfishness. Now let's look at what the Scripture says. There's a lot of different things Scripture says, but I want us to look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 first. Because Paul gives us an, an interesting verse here. And if you read, actually, if you go back to Ephesians 4 and you read verse 17 kind of on, Paul is starting to talk about how to live the life of a disciple. So he's actually going to back me up on what I just said about anger and controlling it being a, a part of your spiritual journey. He talks about putting off your old self and, and the old manners of life. And then he, he comes to this in verse 26 He says, be angry and do not sin. That's pretty interesting, right? He says, be angry. Anger is an emotion. You can be angry, but do not sin. His his point here is this. It's not about the emotion. It's about what the emotion causes. It's about how we control the emotion or how we don't. So he says, be angry. We understand that. But in your anger, don't do something that is sinful. And then he says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. We'll come back to that in a second as we get to the application. He's given us some really pretty simple applications here. But anger is this emotion that, that we have to control, and, and it can cause us to sin. It can cause us to act out. Now, some of us in here, like I said, if, if you're more of the passively angry person, you might read this, and as you're thinking through the application of it, okay, that's what I do. I get angry, but I don't sin. I, I don't throw things at my husband or my wife. I don't, I don't even yell at them. Um, I, ju- I just go away, and I close the door, and I, I'm not going to sin because I, I want to obey those verses. But in reality, it's three or four days later. We're still treating our spouse or our kids or our employees or our, our neighbors or whatever different than we normally would have because we haven't dealt with this anger. And so before you just go, okay, well, that's not sin, I want you to look at Matthew chapter 5 and see what Jesus says. Jesus talks to some of us that might be passively angry. In verse 21, Sermon on the Mount is what chapter 5 is. He says, chapter 5, verse 21, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So Jesus makes it pretty clear. Hey, even though you don't do something, if you say something out of anger, you've got a a spiritual check coming. That's sin. The way you talk to people, the way you treat people, even if you don't punch them or slam a door, our insides matter. Our heart matters. And when anger has gathered, got a hold of our heart, whether we, we, we move or we act externally or not, if it's affecting us internally, we're still wrestling with sin. And then go to 1 John chapter 3, verse 15. This would be really more for those of you who 
might be passive and ignore things. We've talked about doing it. We've talked about what we say. And then verse 15, John tells us this, 1 John chapter 3, the last verse we're flipping to. It won't make you flip all morning. He says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So fine, don't act externally. Don't do. Don't say, Jesus said, if you call your brother a fool, you're going to be in trouble. Don't, don't, don't say anything. Just harbor it inside. And John tells us if you, if you think that way, if you feel that way, you're still wrestling with sin. And so this is a big deal. We can't just look at, at anger passively or external, extrinsic anger, and say that we're okay. We have to figure out how to deal with it. It's a part of our spiritual journey. And some of us in here, and I'm just saying I don't, I don't know personally. I just know because of the numbers. Some of us struggle with this more than others. Some of you, this is, this is where Satan comes and he attacks all the time. I mean, you grew up in a home maybe where, where you saw anger a lot more than others, and, and so it becomes more natural to you. Some of you grew up in homes where you watched a, a mom or shut down when she got angry, and you modeled that back into your home. It's a real issue. It's a real emotion. We've got to figure it out because we don't want our children, as they get married and as they grow up, to not know how to handle this emotion of anger. Because if they don't learn how to control the anger, it's going to control them. So let's, let's talk, and we're going to go back to that passage in Ephesians. Let's talk about some things that we can do in order to disciple ourselves, to grow to be like Jesus so that we can control anger and it doesn't control ours. First thing is this. We've got, to, we've got to figure out how to kill selfishness. Now, we could do a whole sermon series on that and kind of dive deep into what that means. But if selfishness is what causes us to experience anger, again, I was wrong, something that, that was mine, we've got to figure out how to kill that in our own life. The other day, I was meeting a, a family at Starbucks, and as I, right up here at Wolf Ranch, as I drove in, trying to find a parking spot, there wasn't any parking spots around. So I kept driving, but there was one car parked kind of like this. That's not the Starbucks parking lot. A lady had driven in, and she parked diagonally, took up two, really almost three parking spaces. Now, if you're driving a Lamborghini, I can see that. When you're driving a Kia, just park like the rest of us. I mean, the Kia's not any more like, you know, nicer than my trailblazer. You know, I mean, park like the rest. You know, and so I see things like that. And I mean, I immediately started to get like mad. And it happens to me because I'm, I'm not perfect. This. I, I'm dealing with anger too. It happens to me all the time. And some of you might do this and you, you're the person that drives me nuts. The people that have the gigantic big truck that have to back it into every parking lot. And I'm like, listen, it just took you 12 minutes to back into the parking lot. It had taken you three to back out. You killed like nine extra minutes of your life thinking you're saving you time. And, and I'm in the parking lot and they're like, you know, back and they've got to get it perfect. And I'm like, you're, you're in a compact parking spot anyway, you know, in your dually. And I, those things like that drive me nuts. Like, I'm like, just pull in like the rest of us. So I drive and this lady's at the Starbucks. And so I, I, I can't park there. That would have been a perfect spot. I drive around, everything's packed up. And so I come back and I end up kind of in that little off parking lot by her. And she's leaving as I'm kind of getting out of my car. And so I, I you know, my mind, I'm like, I want to say something. But surely enough, I'm going to say something. She's going, oh, yeah, I know you. I'm in the parenting teen class. And so I <laughs> zip it. She gets into the car. Now, she's parked like, at, like, like this angle. 
Imagine this angle. She parks, taking up these dinosaurs. Now, when you need to leave, physics tells you, you, since you already parked this way, you go ahead and back out and pull up. No, she wants to back out this way. And so I'm just watching three or four cars just waiting on her, and I'm like, this lady is this lady's insane. Like, what is going on here? And I find myself like getting angry. And again, it goes back to selfishness because somewhere I didn't feel this out. I didn't, I didn't feel this in my heart. I didn't think it out loud. But subconsciously, I thought I should have had that parking spot. I could have been there. And what I was saying was I deserve that spot. And she took it. Now, fast forward to a Sunday morning. On a Sunday morning, I get here. 8.15, 8.30, all kinds of parking spots. But right now at 9.30, well, not right now because it's Labor Day. Last week at 9.30, there were, there, were, there were less than 30 spots on this campus open. And that included people parking at Wolf Ranch. That included people parking all in the grass. That included me every week who gets here at 8.15, 8.30 and drives over to D.B. Wood and parks along D.B. Wood so that I'm not in a parking spot so that when a guest shows up on a Sunday morning, they have a better chance of finding a real parking spot and not parking in a ditch. And I do that lovingly. And I do that because I want to. And I do that because it serves people. But I get to Starbucks, I'm like, I could have that spot. <laughs> Selfishness. Like, I can show up here and be selfless, but then I get someplace else, and all of a sudden the selfishness, that's just, and I'm sitting there thinking, it hurt me, it, it did me no, no trouble to park literally the extra 20 yards away from where that parking spot was and walk the extra 15 steps. But something in me started again because it's selfishness. And so we have to figure out how do we kill selfishness. Now, there's all kinds of ways you can do that. Um, like I said, that could be a whole message series in itself. But, I mean, learning how to serve others, having a, a change in perspective. You know, one of the questions you might ask this, and, and you might ask yourself this right now, what, what does, go home and make a list of it. What does God owe you? Go home, get a sheet of paper out. What does God owe you? Write it all down. And when those things don't happen, then you might go, okay, well, I can be angry about that. You might even flip that over and on the, on the back side of the sheet of paper, go write down all of the things that this world owes you. Because those are the things that if you don't get, the things that God owes you, the things that the world owes you, you don't get those things. Okay, then we can talk about the right to be angry. Now, here's what I'm going to guess. Your list is going to be pretty close to empty. Because God doesn't owe you anything. And this world doesn't owe us anything. So we have to get over it. And maybe that's the change of perspective. We get angry to come back and be able to identify, what am I getting angry about? And what is it that I think I rightfully deserve in this situation that has caused me to get angry and really have a heart-to-heart -heart with yourself going, do I, do I really deserve that? And what you'll find as you mature in your faith with, with Jesus is, no, I really probably don't. And I need to learn to let it go. I need to learn to let selflessness dwell and selfishness to hit the bricks. So we've got to figure out how to kill selfishness. The second thing, and, and Paul gives us this <coughs> in a great applicable principle, handle it before bedtime. If you've got an issue, Paul says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. If you're dealing with something, you're angry, you're, you're in a, uh, a fight with your kids, you're in a fight with a spouse, a family member, you get into it at work, do everything in your power to handle that before bedtime. Before you go to bed, deal with it. Don't let it fester. There's uh, reports that come out all the time. You know that in France, that almost on a yearly basis, they discover hundreds of tons of explosives buried in the ground. 
from World War I and World War II. And occasionally, they go off. Occasionally, there's an explosion. A construction site digs and hits something, and it goes off. People fishing, caught things in a net, goes off. People walking along the beach, goes off. And people lose their lives every year. We don't hear about it because we don't live there. But they talk about it, and they said, actually, it's, it's more dangerous now than it was during the war, those warheads, because of corrosion and things like that. They're much more volatile. They're much more likely for the trigger to go off than they were even when they were set. And that's a lot like anger that's not dealt with that festers. We don't handle it, so it gets buried. We'll deal with it next week. I'm cra- I got things going on in my life right now, too much to handle with, and I, you know, this has happened at home. I'm going to deal with it later, and we bury it. And what happens, we bury it, and it starts to corrode. It starts to become more dangerous. And then something happens. Your kids are just walking along the beach one day, minding their own business, happy-go-lucky, and boom, mom or dad blows up and explodes. And kids are going, what just happened? You know, something happens at work. And you haven't gone to your boss and said, hey, I need to sit down and talk about this. I need to get some resolution here because I'm going home and I'm burying it. And the dog comes up and barks at you and you kick the dog because of what happened at work. Boom, it's the buried, the buried bomb. And so Paul gives us this very practical idea. He says, in your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down your anger. Handle it while it's fresh. Handle it while you still can. Don't let your kids go to bed angry. You don't want that. I mean, that's just practical application. Here's, here's number three. Don't make decisions when you're angry. Don't press the send button on the email or the text. Don't pick up the phone and make the call. when you're, Figure out how to, to build into your own life a timeout so that you can have some, uh, some spiritual moments. This isn't, we're not just talking about the practical. I mean, that is a practical thing. Don't hit... Uh, We've been there, right? You send the email, and all of a sudden you've hit send. You're like, man, I wish there was a way to pull that one back because I would have said it a different way. I should have read through that first, but I was angry, and I sent it. We don't, try not to make decisions when you're angry, and that's more than just a practical tip of dealing with it. It's a spiritual issue because there's something in me, we talked about a minute ago, that's causing me to be angry. And I need, to, I need to step aside and get with Jesus for a few minutes. Go, Jesus, why? What has happened that's caused me to feel this way? What's going on in my world, what's going on in my life <coughs> that's causing me to want to go strangle somebody? And let, let Jesus speak into your life and the Holy Spirit begin to lead and, and to move you to maybe towards some healing or to some perspective so that you can handle your business in the way that would make Jesus proud. And through doing that, you're going to find yourself growing spiritually. So we had to figure out how to kill selfishness. Don't go to bed angry. And the third thing is figure out how to get a timeout, figure out how to stop, figure out how to not make decisions when you're angry. And then here's the fourth thing. You need to get some accountability. Have some people, especially if you deal with anger more than maybe is normal, Get some people in your life to say, hey, this is something. I mean, I went to the parenting teen class, and we talked about it, and God just spoke, and I've got to do something about this. Would you come alongside, and would you ask me some questions along the way? Um, would you remind me when I'm talking you know, to, about something to, to say, hey, have you, have you thought about why this is making you angry? Give some people some permission to speak into your life to help you control anger, because if you don't, 
It's going to control you. Michael Pernitti tells a story um, about going to Italy where his family had been born and raised. He went to Sicily. That's where his ancestors were from and taken some time to go get in touch with his heritage. And while he was there, he noticed in the little village that, that his, his family lived in, this elderly lady, very old, every morning would get out and she would walk to a somewhat local cemetery. And he said she was old enough that she had a cane. He said she moved at a tortoise pace. And the trip to the cemetery and back took her six hours out of every day. This is a true story. He started thinking, man, what kind of, what kind of marriage did she had? right? That every day she goes to, to see her husband. Or, or, and he started thinking, well, man, I wonder if it's her kids. Maybe she, maybe she outlived her kids, and every day she goes and, and spends time there. And so he began to ask questions around this little, little community, because everybody knew who everybody was. And what he found out was this lady woke up every morning, got her cane. She walked six hours, three there and three back, to the grave of a person that she'd grown up with to spit on the grave and turn around and walk home. right? Someone needs some counseling. (laughs) Here's what's the most tragic thing about that story, though. She had no one in her life, no one in her life to come alongside of her and go, this is crazy. This is crazy. That person in that grave that you feel the necessity to spit on their grave because whatever they did, they are long gone. They can't, even, they can't do anything more. You need to deal with whatever they've done. You're spending six hours out of your life in the last years of your existence to go spit on a grave of somebody who doesn't even know it. To me, that's more tragic than anything. That she had nobody in her life, no accountability to come alongside and say, you're wasting, you're wasting the days you have left. To have some accountability, to have somebody come alongside of you to say, hey, let me help you become more like Jesus. Especially, and we're talking about in the issue area of anger, but it's true in anything. Maybe one of the most important things you can do, find some accountability. There's a quote that somebody said, and I'll close with this, and then we're going to have some time to talk. He's talking about us being created in the image of God. And he said, you know that you've created God in your own image when God hates the same people that you hate. Now, that's interesting. You've created God in your image when God hates the same people that you hate. And I think that's probably true of anger. Created God in our own image when we think God gets angry about the things we get angry about. Question would be, who does God love? What is God doing in the world? Because that's who we're, we want to be like. God gets angry about sin. We're going to talk about that next week. Disgust. God gets angry about sin, and we should too as believers. Does God get angry at your boss and your spouse, your kids? Disappointed, maybe? Or does he love them like the father loves his children? You know, when we're angry, it makes it very difficult, extremely difficult, to love God and to love people. That's what we've been called to do. It's a vision of where we're headed to be a church that this community looks at and says, when they hear that you're at First Baptist, they go, man, that church is a loving church. Those people love. But if we're dealing with anger all the time because we've never been in the spiritual journey to control it, it's controlling us, we'll never accomplish that vision 
Because it's incredibly difficult to love God and love people when we're dealing with our own selfishness and our own anger all the time. This week, have this discussion with kids. Go back to some of these application points about killing selfishness. How do you do that? How do you, how do you help your kids see that you're in that journey? Let me just say this. I this not in notes or anything like that. As parents, we're supposed to have it all figured out. At least we think we do. We think we are. That's not really true. A great conversation that you're going to have this week, hopefully, is especially if you deal with anger, to sit down with your kids and go, hey, I want you to know this. I really wrestle with anger. And if you do, watch your kids because they're going to give you that look like, and what does that mean? Are you about to kill me now? Because we all know this, Dad. <laughs> Welcome to our reality. We've understood it, Mom. We understand. We know what passive, I, we learned what passive aggressiveness and passive anger is. You know, we, we've experienced it. That's no new revelation to people in your family. To say, here's what God is doing, and I'm going to enter into this journey to be more like Jesus might be the most incredible thing, the most incredible gift you offer your kids. Instead of pretending like you've got it all figured out to say, listen, I'm 45 years old. I'm 50 years old. However, I'm still growing to be like Jesus. And the next step for me I've learned is how to control my anger so it doesn't control me. And I'm going to let you guys help me be accountable in my journey as I help you be accountable in yours. It's uncomfortable, but it's healthy. It's good. Consider that. How do we help our kids understand this? How do you live it? We're going to pray and then let you talk. God, I still struggle with anger, Lord. I know that. And it's very easy to stand on a stage and look at Ephesians 4 and to look at Matthew 5 and 1 John 3 and point out the things that it says, but it's a lot harder to do it. So, God, my, my prayer is for myself this week, when I get angry, that I'd be able to stop and have a conversation with you to go, God, what is it that's making me feel this way? And to let you speak in my life, turn me into a peaceful person. A person who takes perspectives of this life and understands that this is just temporary. God, I pray that we would, as families, see anger as something that is not damaging, but an emotion that helps us grow to be more like you as we learn how to control it. As in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.